Welcome back, folks. Good to have you with us here on the Mark Steiner Show and your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice <laughs> of the community. And <laughs> it is one of our city council roundtables. We had one last week. We have another one this week for you to join in at 410-319-8888. You can tweet us at Mark Steiner. You can email us at talk at steinershow.org. We really want to get your thoughts and ideas here as we talk with 4th District Councilwoman Mary Pat Clark. 14th. 14th, ex- 14th excuse me. 14th. I almost took them away from Bill Henry, who is the 4th District Council President. Bill Henry's in the house. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> and Shannon Sneed, uh, Councilwoman from District 13. Good to have you in the studio. Thank you. Good morning. And uh, the last time you were here, you had your little baby with you. Yes. Yep. 410-319-8888 is the number to call to join in on this conversation. There's a lot going on. There's been some interesting conversations on my friend Lawrence Brown's uh, Facebook page, Brace, that Bill Henry was in the thick of when it came to development. <laughs> and we will talk about, a bit about that because I think it's a huge issue facing the city. Uh, we'll talk about the issues of uh, violence in our community and, and development and whatever you want to bring to the table. So please bring your ideas to the table at 410 410- 319-8888. We want to hear your thoughts. Um, well, good to have you all here. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to be here. Nice to have you all here. Yeah. So there's a lot to talk about. Um, yeah. A whole lot to talk about in our city. So let me, uh, we do want to talk about Shannon's bill that got passed. We're going to come yeah, to that Yeah, because bit. it's really important for people to know the rights they have. Well, why don't you start there for us? Shannon, why don't you describe the bill that you got passed? and, and then Because people, it's kind of flown yeah. under the radar. Yeah, it's with under most the, the radar because of the budget. Well, and, yes. and then we'll come back to the I budget and all was, the other things yeah. we want to talk yeah. about. And then I think people didn't want to fight it for other reasons as well. But anyway, so <laughs> I think, um, so this is a great bill that passed. I feel like it, it, it made sense. It'll protect thousands of people. It's a bill that basically says when new contractors come in um, Baltimore City, they will not be able to just fire the um, the folks who already serve in different capacities, such as cleaning buildings, food services, security, you won't be able to get rid of those contractors so fast. Um, they'll essentially have 90 days um, because a lot of times what happens is they'll fire the whole crew um, and bring in their own people. And so those folks already don't make a lot of money. They don't have um uh, money saved up a lot of times and so this bill just actually protects them for a certain amount of days and allows them to get their business in order and what happened is what we found anyway uh, contractors uh, some of these other areas don't have people already lined up and ready to go and take over these jobs when the contractors come in and so um, those that's just one of the great things that we did no longer will people be displaced because uh, they've been working in a building for 20 something years and a new contractor takes over and they're out of a job no more. And tell so. them about, uh, just tell them about how we know all about it firsthand at City Hall. So it came about um, one of our workers at City Hall that was literally, as soon as we got in, um, within that week, one of the um, women that was working in our building said, it was nice meeting you. You seem like you'll do good for the city, all of you guys, um, but I won't be seeing you anymore. And I'm like, well, what's going on? Where are you going? And she said, there's a new contractor and, and, and I, have to, I have to start looking for a new job. I won't be here. And I just thought that was crazy. Crazy. So I immediately like, how long have you been working here? What's going on? What's your family situation? Uh-huh. Daughter in college, single mom. I mean, just I'm, and she was unsure about her future. And so um, I was like, we have got to do something about this. And she was like, they already tried, you know. And I'm like, no, no, no. We got to keep fighting this new fight in me. Some I've. <laughs> so we. So we did. We, we did. fought that, but we needed for everybody else a law. Yeah. So I'm glad that, that's a good law to have passed. I had no idea. I had no idea the law was being debated, put forth. Uh, because passed. the budget was just filling the yeah. uh, all the. It was taking all the oxygen yeah. out of the air. Very proud of how that worked out. Yeah. But and but it was such a lot of work yeah. and such a lot of tension and stress that yeah. and that's where that kind yeah. of so. And folks, needs needs bill kind of. Went and she yeah. chaired the committee, yeah, and shepherded it right through to being signed by the mayor. Yay! Yes, the mayor just signed it last week, and so that was a great thing because she called me in her office, and I thought she was calling me in oh, her no. office to <laughs> tell me. Yeah, I thought she was calling me in to say, you know, I will not be signing this bill, and I wanted you to know firsthand. So I was like, going in, like, let's see how this goes. And when she was like, so I'm signing it, I was like, whoo. Well, I thought you brought me in for different reasons. I, I've never been called to the principal's office before. 
So. But the difference between you, the principal and the mayor is that you actually got elected on your own. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Not the mayor. Yes. <laughs> so, um, so a couple of things here. You mentioned the budget. Um, and, and Hank, we're going to get you calling. I want to raise some issues. And I'm going to get you on the air here with us and all the others calling in at 410-319-8888 to talk to our three council members, Shannon Sneed, Mary Pat Clark, and Bill Henry. Um you just said something, Mary Pat, but I'm going to start with Bill Henry and slide over to you and go around the room about the budget. And, and so, you know, I was thinking about the conversation we had last time you were on the air here, Bill, and I was thinking about the bills you put in mm-hmm. last session that you wanted to get on the ballot to give the city council more power in budget negotiations and mm-hmm. then be able to manipulate the budget and have a, a safe for the people in the budget, which you didn't get when some of the council people that people like Councilwoman uh, Sneed replaced, voted against those things, and right. so it was voted down. Um, so, uh, so the question I asked the last, the last council people on the show was, can you really be happy with how the budget turned out this time? That's a great question, Mark. <laughs> uh, I, I, I have been reflecting on this since, uh, since we did uh, finish the budget. I've been, uh, I was very happy that uh, we succeeded in terms of we, as a council, uh, we held strong. We worked. We had a show of unanimity that is rare for our body, um, and um, and I thought it worked well how the council stayed strong with the advocates who had come together in a coalition format to make sure that we passed a budget that did more for kids, uh, both in school and after school. Uh, that we um, held strong with safe streets. Um, we, we, yes. we, we recreated the funding from the city that the state had taken away. Um, but after the initial excitement over winning kind of started to die down, I, it became clear that, well, what we won was we didn't go backwards. Right. And everything we fought for was really to keep constant what we'd already been doing with the exception of the additional money to close the school deficit which was a a new thing for the city to be putting more even more money in for that but even then that's still just we were trying to close a deficit we were trying to minimize the going backwards of the school system and um i think a real win for the city council in terms of the relationship between the mayor and the council when it comes to the budget is going to be one where we see a Baltimore City budget that spends more on our priorities as a council. Um, And that is clear from the beginning of the budget. Now, we're hearing from the mayor's people that this budget was really the last budget of the old days. Mm -hmm. That by the time she was sworn in, they were already working on it and um and and the sort of budget bureau driven process was the last time that that was going to happen and she's going to do it differently for the next budget so i'm looking forward to seeing that so the question i have though is when you think about what's coming what we're facing here i, I know there's the, the 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 kind of murder and violence and crime rate in baltimore is is off it, the charts it, off the charts and a lot of people are saying you, increasing police budget is not going to do it. Maybe you have to take money away from the police and do something else and kind of make a broader definition of public safety. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, and, 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 and who's going to end? People are calling for an audit of, a real serious audit uh, of, the of the police department, period. Just That's like the, you have. That people is the mayor, actually. <laughs> yeah. uh, pardon? That people is actually the mayor that's requiring the audit of overtime. So what, what do you all want to see? I mean, what, what, how would you envision what could be different here in this city? Other than what we have at this moment, I mean, you know, that clearly we're not going to rush our way out of this. We keep saying that over and over again. Most people agree with that, but we're not sure what that means. But what, what's the next? What's the next place well, we take this? Well, are you talking about the budget? Because the I'm next... talking about where we take this city. I mean, over the next year, right. you have the, we're going to be thinking about a budget for next year when that comes up, right? We're already thinking about it. Yes. So, so but but I'm, I mean, in terms of what the city, what, what we, we are... need to build more money into what we call the children and youth budget. It took us years to establish something in the budget called children and youth. We have it. All we've done since is um, we've tried to increase it every year, and then in the last two years. 
we've just held the line um, at where it is so that no children, for example, with after-school activities funded will lose that this year. There will be no losses. There shouldn't be now because of the money that got put back in the budget. Now, we did have a $13 million surplus. That was the first thing that the budget chief said when he came to the city council. We just spent it. So basically, um, all the other cuts that we had made to demonstrate our unity um, were not made, which is a good thing. And part of the police budget was um, used by the mayor to help other issues in the city of Baltimore. But what we need to do is especially build on uh, job creation, training, and our children. Our children all need to be in after-school programs, especially, you know, the elementary middle ones and ones that lead to um, literacy and safety. Uh, one of the programs that um, I'm very pleased I didn't have to fight for this year because the mayor reversed the Budget Bureau and put the money in with school-age child care centers. And they are they are they used to be all over the city. They are now only at Waverly and Northwood Elementary Middle Schools. It's like you want to work. We've got a daycare on site at your child's school that is sliding scale based on your income, and it's from six in the morning till six at night, and it's every day all summer long. And I mean, I have crossing guards. I've had crossing guards. Who, uh, that were able to afford it because it's sliding scale. We need something like that everywhere. In every school. Every school. And that's how I feel like that's how, you, that's how you change it, though. So it, it doesn't happen tomorrow, um, but in education, after school activities, and making sure that kids grow um, to have skills and, and, and abilities and be able to put those to use is how it happens over time. Um, and that's how you change it. You change it long term so we won't have this problem in 10 years. But for right now, if you talk about the crime and the bad things that are happening, um, to me, the only way to address those issues is to take the bad guys off the streets because we hope for something better with the long term if once we make the investment like we're doing into our to our children, our young people. That's right. And besides, you want people to get jobs. If I'm a mom and I'm a single mom and I have a job, I also don't don't want my kids coming home on their own and running loose with other yeah. kids. So I need some kind of program where I know they're not just safe, but right. they're achieving and learning right. and thriving. And so you can't say jobs, jobs, jobs in this city unless you say child care and yes. a sliding scale that everyone can afford in a safe place. Hey, their school. Yeah. Bill, I just want you to open the phones unless you're going to. I, 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 I started, so I figured I was going to wait till I Okay, fine. Phone. <laughs> 410-319-8888. Let's go back to the phones. Hank, you're on the air. Welcome. How are you doing, Dave? This is Steiner. Good morning, Hank. Um, my thing is this, right? Hey, Hank, could you turn your radio down so we can hear you? That's my GPS. My mistake. It's how it's directing me. Here's my issue, right? Why aren't we as Democrats, right, exposing what is going on with all the policies that have been put out? If we want to have any kind of possibility of beating Republicans, right, why are we not, at this particular point in time, not paying attention to Donald Trump, but exposing the issues and explaining to people exactly what the bills that are being passed are? A lot of people don't understand politics. They don't understand why there's a stipend for the arts community. They just go in and see, okay, we want to give money to the arts, we want to give money to the bay, right? When nobody's explaining, the money for the bay goes for the wheel to collect the trash. The money for the arts goes for the money to do artist housing. The money, and, and, and here's another thing. Yo, we always talk about of um, how we want to get these bad guys off in the street, right? Well, think about this. Each time you take a guy off in the street, right, you no longer have a fault to, to, to show a child a right way. If you take the young man on the street that's doing well and give him a... Uh, let me take this off. You take the uh, young man that's on the street, right, and give him the opportunity to do something else with himself other than sell drugs or 
show him a positive message, right, so that we can constantly get them moving forward, then that leaves him to show his child to be better. If his child sees him God, his child has to fend for himself. Now there's a whole nother male in 10 years you have to take off of the streets. Hank. Can we? Can I address that? Shannon, but, go ahead. So that a mother was uh, killed of, of eight. You know, so that bad guy needs to be taken off the street because sh- sh- that those parents don't have those kids don't have a parent. Like that's not fair. Those are true bad guys that are out here doing murders and taking away um, people's moms and dads and 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 and, and I don't sons. Like that's a real issue. Like that mom. I don't know her personally, but as a mom, to be taken away from her eight children is a huge issue. And that person, I'm sorry, needs to be taken off the street because that's truly a bad guy. And we don't want people um, taking mothers and fathers out because now who's going to raise those eight children? That's a hardship on whoever, on their family, period. It's a hardship on the whole community. And those that family needs a lot of help. Yes. I've seen the calls go out for help for all those children who basically are our orphan children now and we so i totally agree with you the violent offenders and we know we everybody know they we know who they are i mean the police certainly do and the community certainly does we just have to target and take them off and get the guns off the streets as well and a couple of police commissioners back that was the strategy. Correct. We, you know, Sheila we, Dixon. Um, you know, we had a commissioner who was very clear that about the, Bielfeld. Bielfeld said we target the bad guys with guns. Yep. And um, and and one of the things that uh, I think is frustrating for all of us, including the police, is that um, we, as the public, and we as government. Um, we keep we keep shifting what we want from the police. Uh, what do you mean when, by that? Meaning that uh, we 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 tell the police that we want them to target the bad guys with guns, but then we also tell them we want them to clear the corners, and we also tell them that we want them to respond to every nine one one call of you know suspicious people in the neighborhood because we don't want people to be you know, frightened for any longer than they, you know, have to be. And we don't want people to miss the opportunity to stop a crime before it happens. But as a result, we we end up pulling our police officers all over the place, doing all sorts of stuff. Um, it, they just, it, it can't be done. And then they use the fact that we want them to do all this stuff to push back against any kind of reduction in the size of their budget, they they want the they want the budget to be bigger, and they want to have more cops on the street because they want to um, enable us um, in our desire to feel safer. And we need to find a way to feel safer that doesn't require somebody else in a uniform doing things. So, what for does us. that mean, though? I mean, so that's it. So, so, I mean, building the police budget. Has not sh- sh- been shown F- to, to bring more safety, right? So, so, and you're not going to have police on every corner, every street, twenty four seven. They're trying to do that right now, and you just, it's not sustainable, well, and you cannot do that. Right. So the question becomes: Then what is the alternative? When, when what's the gentleman's name who has worked for the city health department, who ran the violence programs, who was mugged? Oh, Greg Celio. Yeah. Greg Celio, right? So Greg, it was interesting what he said after he was mugged. He said, "If they capture these catch catch these kids." Uh, who did this to me? Then they shouldn't be put away. They should be helped so they can become, and so they can become uh, better human beings in our society and and, and fit in. Mm-hmm. So the question that that begs the question: So how do you do that? Well, where do you put the emphasis of the work? Then, so, I mean, other than I mean, rhetorically it sounds great, but what does that mean so, so fundamentally? I, I I mean, we can. I, I I'm hesitant to say it like it's just a fact, but it feels obvious to me that. We can do various strategies for short-term, middle-term, and long-term um, solving the public safety problem. Long-term is more investment in youth development. If we give kids more meaningful things to do, we increase the chances that they grow up to not be criminals. But the resistance to putting a lot of effort into that is that it takes 10 years for that to be obvious. I, however, am feeling especially 
um, frustrated right now because I'm coming up on the 10-year anniversary of complaining that we need to do it. And I am now seeing the kids who, if we had helped them 10 years ago, would not be out shooting other kids right now. Um, but we have to address short-term and middle-term issues so that we can be pulling crime down now. And programs like Safe Streets, you know, instead of fighting to keep it whole, we should have been fighting to expand Bandit, that yeah. to more it. neighborhoods. Right. And, I, and I hope right now that the administration is already have that in mind for next year, that because with safe streets, it's not enough to just put the money in the budget for it. You need to lay groundwork in the communities it's coming to and make sure they're organized. And that takes community organizing. And right now, city government is not in that game hardly at all. I think we're in a transitional t place right now, and it feels as if everything's moving and nothing's settled. Um, and it's a very uneasy time for all of us who are here in the city of Baltimore because of all the things we're just discussing. Um, to, to get back to what Hank was saying, um, the, the city council has, I mean, um, Councilman Scott just brought in on um, Monday um, legislation that or discusses um, a, a strategy uh, for for public safety that sounds worth pursuing and has models elsewhere and the city council um, in through its public safety committee as is doing you know trying to work with the police department and with the community to come up with a balance that meets the re the requirements and justice of the Department of Justice and that protects people in neighborhoods. At the same time, that balance requires wholesale mentoring and taking care of the young children that are coming up that Councilman Henry's talking about, that, that we missed the boat on, uh, have missed the boat on, and we've got to put all our resources there and invest in the future there and try through a balance between community and police and a coming together in justice um, to work together uh, to get to protect the neighborhoods that are uh, under siege. He also asked a question about information or explaining some of the laws and the bills. Um, and we all have hearings for every bill that comes out. We have investigative hearings. And not only that, a lot of us attend community meetings where we talk about the bills and talk about what's going on in Baltimore um, City Council and what's coming up and keeping people um, updated. And there, another thing, he can always call his legislator. He can call any of us and ask us to explain anything. He can look on the website, uh, BaltimoreCity.gov um, or Baltimore City Council to even find out more and to look through the different dates of when the hearings are going to be, what bills are out there, and if he still doesn't understand it, to just give any one of us a call and we'll be able to ex explain it, because he said he feels as though no one is explaining, I guess, what's going on when these bills come up, and so that's a, a way to stay connected. And he's also so talking about national issues and who's paying attention, and I would say um, the, the city council just uh, got a resolution um, Monday night oh, about the Paris, Paris. Accord, yeah. and um, jump out. It's one of the longest resolutions I've ever read about all the things that we want to achieve. But it's it says in effect, hey, national government, if you're stepping out, we're stepping in, and that that's all about saving Mother Earth from the destruction of um, pollution, mainly uh, across the world. You can't just do it as a city all by yourself. You need the whole world. And um, this is a the the mayor has signed on to the Paris Accord uh, with other mayors, and um, the city council has now addressed that. And that sounds like oh gee, so what? But it's all about the survival of our Mother Earth here, and our ability to breathe clean air and get rid of trash and debris from our streets. So we're going to take a very short break. We're going to come right back. Clarence and Jimmy, the next two callers up at 410-319-8888. I want to raise some issues about how the world of development fits into all this. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, folks. This is Mark Steinery here with Councilwoman Shannon Sneed from District 13, one of the 
bright new council members on our city council who are coming in, the next generation coming on board. Councilman Mary Pat Clark, District 14, Councilman Bill Henry, District 4, and you all, 410-319-8888. Write to us here, talk at standardshow.org. By email, you can tweet us at Mark Steiner, 410-319-8888. Before I get to my question, Clarence, you're on the air. What's your question? Um, thank you, Mr. Steiner. Good morning. I'd like to make a um, comment first. Um, as far as policing is concerned, when you're brazen enough to shoot a mother of eight mm-hmm. in broad daylight, then I would have had no objective to the police department shutting that community down. I, I mean, tantamount to the Boston Marathon. Um, I don't think anybody in this city would have, I don't, I don't mean go out and brutalize people, but no drug dealer, they, they should have made their lives miserable, put them out of business, you know, um, even if you couldn't arrest them and lock them up for any breaking the law, their lives should be have been made miserable and should continue to be made miserable for that act. Um, second thing, with Mark, you just made a statement about you wanted to know how development fit, fits into this. Well, I can't see it as anything else. It's almost like a military style operation going. It's it's um, it's segregation. It's 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 an it's like clean segregation, green segregation. That's what I call it now. I'd like to ask Ms. Clark a question. Yes. Do we have a um, mixed drink sales tax in the city of Baltimore, where we where the city is getting any um, um, revenue from the business that goes on in and around the harbor? Which is a lot. If we do, how does it work, and are we actually deriving any income from that increase in tourism that comes into the city based on liquor? Or, you know, how does that work? Thank you. Good question. Um, A mixed drink sales tax. A mixed drink sales tax, if uh, my colleague is telling me, because I don't know the answer, is that... If there is one, it's going to the state. If, the, you're talking yeah, the, about a drink. Yeah, the state has not an alcohol. A the, the, the state has an alcohol tax. It's nine percent. Um, it just was raised from six to nine a couple years ago. Um, that it's it's a statewide tax, um, so it's not a Baltimore City tax. Um, if the city wanted to put its own sales tax on alcohol, we would need to go to the state and get permission. To, get, to, to, to do that just in the city alone. If we wanted to do a the, separate local one just for the city. The entire legislator, legislature has to vote on that to give yeah. the city. But, the, but so, this really goes to a basic issue, and just let me say what that is. We built the Inner Harbor for jobs. That's how it was sold to us. That's why we spent millions of federal, state, and local dollars to turn wharfs into uh, tourist and, and uh, convention attractions. It was all about replacing the jobs that were closing in um, uh, Sparrows Point and the manufacturing in general. We knew that the, that the salaries wouldn't be as good as they were in unionized plants, but we presumed they would provide living wages for our people that, that they, could, uh, they could have. With few wonderful exceptions, those jobs have not panned out to be able to support families and we have people throughout this city work in those jobs who are working two sometimes three different jobs to make ends meet none of which carries a benefit so one of the things the answer to, to Clarence one one part of it is we need to clean up our act about what these jobs why we have the inner harbor and that's why we have it and we need to work to get the, the, well, the I mean, salaries we, we, to reflect what we intended. But we couldn't even get the council to override the mayor's veto of the $15 an hour minimum wage. Uh, sadly, we could not. And when we talk about people not making a living wage in the Inner Harbor, you know, I, I remember people who run the Inner Harbor in different places in the Inner Harbor attacking me on the air a couple of years ago, writing letters to me and notes saying, what, why are you meddling in our business when we're talking about... Because it's about, our business. ...about, about the wages on the, and happening in, in the Inner Harbor right. hotels and also in the, in the, in the uh, restaurants there. I mean, so I mean, we can't I mean, not be able to pay, pass a $15 minimum wage in a city like Baltimore where people are underemployed, not given the kind of income that they need to, to raise a family. It's re- I mean, it is, it is, is morally me. wrong not to have at least fifteen dollars yeah. an hour yes. on the horizon and it is it yep. is wrong as it can be and I have looked at local 
and I have looked at state um, referendums, and I, they, there's no way to do it, but state would have to pass a bill to get it onto the state ballot. It's re, we must have that minimum wage. And there's got to be a way for it to happen before this term of office comes to an end. So, so I've, I've, I've occasionally raised this issue, but I think I'll, it's appropriate here. The, the, the problem was that most of the council was accurately reflecting the will of their people, our, the people we represent. In, in, in fact, I would go so far to say almost all of the council accurately represented their district. What does that mean? That means that, for example, if um, if you have a council person who voted against the minimum wage because they legitimately think that most of the people in their district were not in favor of the minimum wage, then um, that's a that's a legitimate vote. But the problem was that <sighs> you only need four people to keep it from happening okay, but, but, if but the mayor vetoes. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Well, they, all I, we I, I, needed just, was excuse, excuse one. Excuse me one second. Let, let me push back on this a little bit. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm if, I'm, rep- talk if, about if it. I'm representing a district, if I'm a council person. And, that would be great. And if I, oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> Meetings would be much more fun. <laughs> I think they're if, fun enough now. Uh, that if I was a council person and I thought my district opposed the minimum wage. Right. I wouldn't listen to my district. They'd have to come along with me or take me out of the office. Because if you're not going to support $15 an hour in a city like Baltimore, where the majority, where the, most of the people live in poverty or near poverty and are trying to survive in the city. I mean, 100,000 working poor who and you, live and work in the city. And you're not, that's, that's, that's a BS excuse. But my constituencies didn't want it. I, that's not acceptable. Well, that's not that's what not polling re- reflects at yeah, all. But that's what they said. Well, the, well, the polling now, would what show they said that, is that someone else has their hands in their pocket who's, who wants to see them in an office, who has businesses who don't want to pay the minimum wage. That's who doesn't want it, not their constituents. Oh, the, yeah. the, That's baloney. The Greater Baltimore Committee sorry, was yeah, a I mean, major. It's, it's just absurd. The Greater Baltimore Committee, was a, who represents big business, who can well afford, yeah. um, was, the, was a major uh, opponent of living wage because they were representing, I guess, well, they talked about small businesses and all. We had made provisions to stretch it out for small businesses, very generous provisions that advocates didn't like, but which were, which was, we were good for the city and the small businesses. And so who, it is, it's a horrible injustice and it is one of the things that divides our city and will continue to until a hundred thousand people who live and work here, for example, um, can support their families. So let me. Tell you, I want to get to the phones unless you want to make a comment on this. As well. No, I'm shaking my okay. head. Because okay. I'm like, that's right. <laughs> let, Shame let go, on us. Let me go back to the phones from four one zero three one nine eighty eight eighty eight. Jim, you're on the air. Welcome. Yes, sir. I'm so damn sorry to hear you leave, sir. But I would have just wished to done one thing before you do go. What's that? Bring about a dozen people that's in the trenches that understand on a 27-day, 24-hour period how, what that thing really is, how bad it is, and talk to them. I've been listening to the smoke went in the office. I was standing on the step when he went in. And nothing has changed since then because we have the same methods of doing things. And when Sheila Dixon was in there, she went with our committee at the uh, uh, church down here on Lafayette and Poplar Grove. We changed a lot of things. There's still things that are closed now because of that effort, and nobody ever wanted to look at it other than that church. We tried to get politicians to look at it. I tried to get the present mayor four months before she got into office to give us some time, and everybody else was going in new to give us some time before they got in office. We did not get a response from anybody. Well, where where is this area so we so my, we can? My name is James Mears. I live in twenty nine hundred block of One Chester Street, and I can show you right today. Come up and I walk with you, and show you that things that were started at St. Edward's Church that are still shut down right as we speak, because we work with the liquor board and the liquor board oh, work with us. We didn't let people do things. We didn't let the career. So you shut them down. So you shut what? down liquor establishments, right? I didn't hear what you said. Did you shut down okay. these liquor establishments? Yeah, sure, we shut them down. All right. You can do anything if you have an organized off, uh, effort. 
So what are you looking for now? If you don't involve the people that come to we have hundreds of people that are retired, social workers, teachers, and things like that. You can't be safe. We had a, a system of getting information from them without them being threatened. You let that fall aside. Sheila Dixon didn't do that. Sheila Dixon is the only one in the 40 years I've been doing community service that worked with the people in the trenches. So let, let me. That's where the information okay, is. Okay, Jim. That's I'm, where the herd is. The herd is in the trenches. Jim, I, I hear you. And so, I mean, I think there are a lot of people who th- think, and we can't sidebar into this too deeply now, but there are a lot of people who think, you know, Sheila was a good mayor and a very effective mayor when she was there. She did bleed blue by an that man, I meant blue collar, <laughs> in this city. And and uh, um, and I think that's true. I'm just sorry she, that turn in her office she took that allowed them to push her out when she was actually kind of trying to push the city forward. Um I think that that all that is real, but we got to figure out where we, how we advance the city well, now. Well, yeah, I think that the mayor that we have now um, is um, open to to learning, and I think that and, and we'll certainly mention to her to get in touch with or take a look at the twenty nine hundred block of Winchester and um, see see how how effectively. Uh, things have worked in the past and move it forward. So I'm going to get that back to the phone, but let me just raise the other issue. Then, Sandy, you're the next caller up. I'm going to come to your call next. Um, so the question of development, you've been in this Facebook battle. Um, uh, it's not a battle. It, well, a discussion. Discussion, sure. With Bill Henry. <laughs> around the, around the, uh, the Yitzhi Schleifer's district where they wanted to build this, when they want to build this um, apartment. apartment high-rise, right? Um, and so, you know, the, the, the talk about councilmatic privilege and, and courtesy, courtesy, excuse me, <laughs> courtesy. Thank you. And I, and I understand why we have very few privileges, but we occasionally have some courtesy. It has, so, so the question is, we can talk a bit about that, but I don't know about it in the context of one of the ways you cut down on issues of crime and poverty in the city is by changing the nature of the city. And by that, I mean, we have an inclusionary housing law with no teeth. Mm-hmm. It's got nothing there. Could have, would have, please, please do what you, Mr. Developer, do what I want you to do while you write checks to these other politicians so they can get elected into office. So, I mean, so, I mean, well, where is the debate in city council about the future of development in this city when it comes to that being maybe one of the linchpins of serious change in Baltimore? Well, you mm-hmm. should probably start by including Councilman Bullock in this conversation. He was here last okay, week. so... So I'm sorry I missed that show. How how, how did he answer that question? <laughs> we didn't get into it deeply. Okay. Okay. We, we, well, we're going to have him have back. A bill. But, but but let's just talk about it without okay. him. So you're here. You have a you're resolution here. Here. that that uh, Councilwoman Middleton and Councilman Reisinger. Oh, about the, okay, about All right. incentives. Yeah. Just to to pull in BDC and say, what have you spent on uh, pilots, TIFs, everything else, and where have you spent it, and how are we going to reverse this tide and direct those kinds of uh, efforts and subsidies to the other side of town? I've got, like, in my district, I've got people building on the top of hillsides and eroding the hills in the process, while I've got pieces of, I have vacant houses and lots available in, in perfectly fine communities on the other side of my district. Where are the developers who want to be there? So there are the incentives need to be taken away from the harbor. If there are an inch left at the harbor, take bring them out to where we live and where we want development. So let me turn to the other two council people. So Sneed and then go over to Henry, then we'll open the phone to you, send you the next caller up. That, and that's very <clears throat> so true. And so I, I think we shall wait and see because I believe that something is going to come from um, our council members in reference to um, something like this. And the mayor has that was part of the mayor's campaign to say, take it away from downtown and, to, bring, it and bring it home to the neighborhood. So I, I, I'm, I'm assuming that she will have something as well that will come out. So altogether, it should be something good coming out. Well, we should, and, and Councilman Henry also had a very fine amendment bill to, um, to try inclusionary to housing. housing law. We, and, and we need to put the onus back on developers. If, you know, if you want to build 
in Baltimore, then it's, there's an inclusionary housing law, and you have to figure in the, how to fill in that gap in your budgeting. But again, that inclusionary housing law has no teeth. Well, but I'm talking about one that so, does. So, so, so I'm going to try to get to Bill to talk about that so we can get back to the phones. So, okay. So um, <laughs> I, I, had a, I had a bill in the last council that would have made the existing inclusionary housing bill stronger. And um, it did not pass uh, in, under the old council. And um, my understanding from the council president's office is that um, the council president is going to put together another task force to study affordable and inclusionary housing, and that this time that task force will have the resources to actually put some data together. Because I will admit that one of the things that we suffered from in our discussion about affordable and inclusionary housing uh, last year was that most of the conversation was anecdotal. Um, we did not have good, solid data on the strength of Baltimore's housing market. And in this town, economic development has become a religious discussion. You are either a member of the church that believes that development must be incentivized or it won't happen, or you're a member of the church who believes that we are giving money away for nothing, and if we did not give out these incentives, then we would still get developers, but we'd get them paying their own way. And there is absolutely no way to simply prove that one is right or the other without doing the other thing. Well, I mean, I hope that if we have this commission of people like Lawrence Brown, this commission who will not take who will not take anything lightly and will go into this deeply um, and and fight for the things we need to fight for. I mean, I think. I'll just say one thing. I'm going to go open the phones here. 44 years ago, I helped start Billy Murphy's campaign for mayor. They went down in blazing glory of defeat. But I would remember it, it well. In that, as, as do in, I. <laughs> your dad was with me. So, so in that campaign, I came up with a slogan. And that slogan was about we need to stop paying attention to the inner harbor and start paying attention to the outer harbor. The community, and that was 44 years ago, and we're still not doing it. It's the same issue. Of you know whether the Lawrence wants to call it the white L and the black butterfly, mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. we call it, we're still doing the same thing we were doing 44 years ago. But it's even worse than it was 44 years I ago. I think this new council will hope, has the yeah. p- so, potential to make the difference that needs yeah. to be made. Let me get a couple calls in here. Let's go to Sandy, line two. You're on the air. Welcome. Good morning. Good morning, Sandy. Thank you for my call. Um, I just wanted to comment. I'm listening to uh, the situation with uh, the minimum wage of fifteen dollars being unable to be passed, and I'm really concerned because uh, it's my understanding that the government uh, is for the people and by the people, but yet we have political figures that are really not uh, taking the people's uh, cries and doing something for them. One of the things that came to my mind is the very people that are being denied, the workers that are being denied that $15 Yes. Uh, for our wage are the very people that are spending hundreds and thousands of dollars in the lottery. So one of the things I'm thinking is, why don't the people that's spending all that money in the lottery boycott and not spend money in the lottery and see where the shortfall comes and what hair, what eyebrows are raised to give attention to the people say, we're not supporting that anymore. Huh. We want an increase in our income. Well, the, the lottery money goes to the schools. So. Yeah, right, allegedly. Well, no, it goes that, to the schools. It doesn't it all just, go to the schools. You no, know, it goes to the schools. The problem is we stopped putting the other money we used to send to the yeah. schools to the schools once we start, and we replace it with lottery and casino money. That's been the problem. That's that, Yeah, that's right. We don't get more money for the schools. No. We have different money for the schools, different but money. it's coming from a different place. Right, yeah. But that's a good... Which was I mean, a trick Don't bag. dismiss this idea because... Uh, <laughs> A lottery boycott would affect the. Every, but I say everything. that about everything. I say, what, yeah. you want to show your power? Stop, Stop patronizing folks who don't support community in Baltimore City. I say that with with. Everything. I, I think Sandy has a so, pr- I agree pretty brilliant you. idea, yeah. and we shouldn't say, "Well, thanks a lot," but you know, it goes to schools. No, wait a minute. Think about it. Think about it. That's interesting. Well, we can have that debate on the show. Let's a, it's that. pressure. Let's, let's, what kind of pressure can people bring who don't can't afford, aren't even home to bring pressure because they're working three jobs and they can't make ends meet? Well, one thing is, if it got organized and it was a, across the board, 
boycott of of the lottery in Baltimore, it would make a huge difference even <laughs> one week, one week of it. I, that would be an interesting campaign to start. 410-319, it would. I know. 319-8888, Jessica, you're on the air. It's a great idea. Yes, um, I was just calling because I thought how earlier that I heard um, one of the women say something about um, a summer camp or, or I don't know if it was some type of program. That it was, I didn't know if they was reference to it or they was actually saying it was one. Because if it was, I was trying to find out some information about it. Oh, oh did was it about the school age child care center? No, no, not no. for jobs. I'm talking about for younger younger children. But the Rec and Parks is running summer yeah. camps at different rec centers around the city. You can go onto their web page, and I mean, I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure. If, how many open slots they still have because I think the camp started yesterday. But um, they're free for city residents. Um, they're all they're pretty much all summer long. They're all day. Um, and uh, for what has <laughs> turned out to be a very, very low fee when you start looking around at other camps, for 150 bucks for the entire summer, um, you also get to send them on field trips. Uh, to different area attractions during the year. So I would go to the Rec and Parks website and look at their summer camp page. So let me try to get a caller in here before at times winding down. We have a lot of people who just called in. Let's go to Earl. You're on the air. Hi, my name is Earl Andrews, and I live in Baltimore City. And just wanted to say, uh, number one, I live in Shannon Sneed's district, and I'm very proud of the job that she's been doing she so far. She is great. Oh, and thank you. the question that I have is whether or not there is any way to begin to re-energize or move the state center project forward, or is that just simply dead in the water as long as Hogan is still in office? And also, I wanted to get your impressions of the recent survey that was conducted that ranked Baltimore one of the 50th, 50 worst cities in the country to live in. So the state wow. center, I know um, Councilman Eric Costello, is, um, he's at the forefront of that because it's in his district. We just um, held a little rally, a rally asking um, the governor to... Um, don't shut this project down to um, think about jobs, think about what it could do to the area. So it's still on the table for the folks that want to see this. Um, we just hope that our senators and delegates in Annapolis will organize to uh, kind of come to some type of um, negotiations where they can do something to, to, to push our governor to make this happen. But it's essentially in their boat in our, in um, Eric Costa, Councilman Eric Costello's um, hands right now. Um, they're still talking about it. And the second piece, what was the second it, it question? The, 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 uh, the digital financial and, and news opinion company, 24-7 Wall Street, uh, gave said Baltimore was one of the 50 worst Cities to live in rank in America, we're 14th in that list of the we're 50 worst cities to live in America because it's one of the most dangerous cities in the country to live in, and so that's so it because of our murder and crime rate is why that's on the list that way. We will we are going to turn that around as we get through this transition that has been horrendous and tragic. But yeah. that will change. Yeah, and I say that to me, that's that's not true. I feel safe when I walk out my door. I feel safe when I walk in the community, and that's what we ultimately have to keep saying, and that's what we right. ultimately have to live is that we won't live in fear. And so, when people visit the harbor and visit different places, we show you know we show that we're a good um, host. And so, I feel like that's how we make a difference. We invite people to come um, visit us, and we take them to our little uh, curricular little uh, things that are in our neighborhood, so they can. See see other things besides the harbor but they can meet our neighbors and I mean I have a cousin from out of town right now who's who's staying with me for the summer and she's just enjoying herself she is having a ball and so I'm taking her to things like uh, the television stations and just so she can see a different world um, than what she hasn't seen before in her own city so I think that's how we we change the, the narrative here. Should we get one call in here before this all over for the hour? Let's go to 410-319-8888. Mary, you're on the air. Quick thought. What is it? It's a fine name. Hi. Thank you so much for taking my call, Thanks Mark, for calling. for uh, all the folks on the panel, that all the great work that you guys are doing for the city. I had the same thing. I had a friend of mine in from Asheville, North Carolina. She had, like, heard only bad things about Baltimore. I took her around 
all the great things that are in Baltimore. It's a wonderful town. I'm proud to live here. I had a quick question about the Hope Six grant. I don't know if you all are familiar with it. I don't even know if it's still actually a federal grant. But my oh, Barbara. Huh? Yeah, yeah, that was Barbara Mikulski's, um, uh Senator, excuse me, U.S. Senator Barbara Mikulski was very much involved when that was coming forward. about redevelopment in different communities outside of the harbor area where this grant gave money to create houses that were mixing stock, mixed stock of houses. And and it also had a program that would force, or not force, have the developers actually hire people from the local community. Right. And... It wasn't being like it wasn't being implemented. When I did my graduate work in Seattle, we did um, canvassing around different sites, and like there would be six people who were working on a job site with four thousand folks. Mm. Only six came from the community. Is that actually being used here in Baltimore? Because I think the plan itself is an amazing plan, but again, does it have teeth, and is it actually being? Well, um, let me, let me, let me, we only have like two minutes left here, so let me let a quick response. If, if if it's being if it's being enforced, it's almost certainly not being enforced well at the local level. Um, I, I know that that's one of the things that uh, Jill Carter, who's now the new head of the Office of Civil Rights, which is uh, tasked with doing uh, some of the worker protections uh, enforcement. Oh, yeah. Um, I know that that's something that's on her radar screen, but I'm not sure that there's a Hope 6 project happening in, I don't think there's anything being built. Right. We've done a lot yeah, with so, that program, but in yeah, Baltimore. So I don't, I don't know that, I don't know that, that there'd be anything that could be used. Mm-hmm. I know in general, um, local hire is an important issue that we've tried. I know the president passed something yeah. a couple of years ago. I, I haven't seen a report on how effective it's been. Well, we have, again, these, we, these laws we could pass locally, but we don't have them. Which you could, know, there's we, an election we, next year. Uh, we should remind everybody in 2018, after the General Assembly session, the state will be, uh, state people will be out there running for election. Oh, they're out there now. Oh, I know, <laughs> I, I know that. But what I want to say is one thing, we were talking about $15 minimum wage. Uh, in 2019, um, the, um, in 2018, I believe that the state minimum wage gets to its peak of ten ten an hour. That's where it stays forever unless something happens. And I'm certainly hoping that the citizens and that our local legislators will introduce legislation to take the state up to $15 so we can, can come down there and help them lobby and make it an election issue across the state of Maryland. I want to thank the three of, you, three of you for being here. It's been a great conversation. Thank Good you, to see Mike. You all here. Councilman Mary Pat Clark, you just heard District 14, Councilman Shannon Sneed from District 13, and Councilman Bill Henry from District 4. Good to have you in the studio. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Great to be here. And we are about to take a break. When we come back, we are going to be joined by three city school teachers to talk about our city schools from their perspective.